So open your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And let's look at verse 16, if you will. Mark 1, 16. And we'll go ahead and read 16, 17, 18. The Bible says, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity you give me to be worshiping, praising you, fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in Christ that are so far away from where we're at ministering. And yet we are linked together by the blood of the Lamb and by a familial cause, which is brothers and sisters in Christ. And we thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made into coming to the world and rescuing sinners such as we. But now we ask you that you help us see this text, what this means, how can we apply it in our lives and understand the promises that are implied in these texts and now go to the world and become fishers of men. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why is it so difficult nowadays to define what a Christian is? Who is a Christian? What is a Christian? Now, the answer could be long and complex, but generally speaking, there is a belief that a Christian is a person who doesn't do certain things and instead does other things, right? I mean, a Christian doesn't drink and a Christian shouldn't do drugs or shouldn't be carnal. Instead, a Christian goes to church and reads his Bible and goes to Christian schools or colleges and listens to Christian music. Now, there is some truth in those statements, of course. It is true, a Christian doesn't do certain things and does others instead. But if that's all you think about Christianity, then you have a works-based religion. It is a system framed with good things, for sure, but not good enough for God. And you know he's not. I mean, after a sermon or a revival meeting or a Bible conference, we're all excited about the cause and we want to get right with the Lord. And, but, but, but we realize that we just fall short every time. Sin, in, sin is in our lives, in our phones, in our homes. We hide things from our kids. We hide things from our friends and our spouses. Because we know that what we're doing or thinking or watching or consuming are things that Christians are not supposed to do. And yet we find it terribly difficult to get rid of them because we like it. I mean, our flesh enjoys sin. Our flesh lives for sin. Our sinful nature compels us to do, to want to do more sin. It is just so satisfying. And it doesn't matter how old you are. I know that most of the youth group and the kids are doing their own program. So I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter how old you are tonight. Your sinful nature goes against everything that you are told you're not supposed to do. And if you're like me, then you wonder, is this Christianity? Is this the cycle? I'm not supposed to do something, but I want to do it so badly. I will resist as long as I can, but when I fall, no one can know about it because now I realize that I'm doing the very thing I'm not supposed to do, but now you're trapped because you actually enjoy that sin. Friends, 
If that is Christianity, I want nothing from it, and neither should you. Because if Christ is only a deterrent, like a speed bump, if you will, that stops you from doing bad things, then this is a small, little, powerless Christ, and very soon you will hate that Christ and that Christianity, and very soon your strong desires will be more powerful than that little Christ. But I'm here today to show you from Scripture otherwise. So my assignment today is to show you that Christ cannot be our deterrent. He has to be our delight. I'm to show you that Christianity is not about what you do. It is about what he has done for you. I will show you that the purpose of Christianity is not to make you a better person, but rather to make you a follower of Christ. I want you to understand that Christianity is about delighting in Christ, not about the good works that you may do. Because if Christianity is about your good works, then you are your own hero. And friends, please listen to this. You cannot be your own hero. Jesus has to be your hero. He has to be your redeemer. I need you to understand that Christ doesn't need you, you need him. And it should be your highest pleasure to call him friend, an extraordinary pleasure to follow and be with and walk with Christ, right? That has to be it. I mean, how in the world could David write, I will delight myself in thy statues. I will not forget thy word. That's Psalm 119. Christian life has to do with delight and enjoyment and pleasure in the Lord. The world will teach each one of us that its pleasures and sins and attractions are far more enjoyable than Christ is. So until you personally truly realize and see the glorious beauty of Christ, you will quickly fall in the trap time after time again. But once you see that there is a magnificent beauty in Christ in scriptures, in God, then you will start passing on the dark enjoyments of sin and will exchange them for the radiant and eternal pleasures of Christ. So just for a few minutes, let's examine our text and we will see the glory of Christ in this passage because you, what you need, what I need is to truly deeply fall in love with our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at the glory of Christ in seeking. Number one, the glory of Christ in seeking. Verse 16, he says, now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. Christ always looks for the sinner first, not the other way around. Now, we obviously respond and confess with our mouths that he is Lord and we put our faith in him. But he did not come into the world for people who were already searching. He came to the world to seek and to rescue lost people. That's what he says in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. It is exactly what we're seeing in this passage. Jesus is walking that day by the seashore when he sees two fishing, fishermen. It was a normal day for these two guys just going out to the sea and hopefully bring, bring food to eat and to sell. It was just a normal day for them. But not for Christ. 
He was on mission. He had a target. He had sinners to rescue from eternal damnation. And it is the same with you. You may think that today is just another normal Wednesday night, just another day of church, just another day of preaching, just another missions conference or missions month. And then we have sermons and we have weekends going by. But it is not so. Today, Christ is still rescuing sinners. He's still going out to the cities and houses and families and Mexico City, and he's still seeking for those who need to be sought. He's rescuing and saving and transforming lives. And this is glorious because he doesn't need us. He doesn't need to save sinners, and yet he graciously rescues anyone who would repent of his sins and asks for forgiveness, and he does it all for love. Just look around. You can see things are wicked, corrupted, broken. I know that some of you are sick. Maybe you need to take medication every day. Or maybe they just found out that something is wrong with your parents or siblings or grandparents. And we need to understand it shouldn't be like that at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Things were not like they are today. Our bodies are not supposed to get sick and die. Our bodies are supposed to live forever in a perfect kingdom under a perfect king. But in Genesis 3, things radically changed. Sin entered into the world. And since then, we're waiting for a better body in a better world with a, with a better king and a better kingdom. And all of that is fulfilled in Christ. He is a better Adam, the better Moses, the better David, better than all the judges of the Old Testament put together, better than every king in the Old Testament that reigned. Jesus Christ is our better king. He is our redeeming. And very soon, his everlasting kingdom will be fully established and he will reign forever. See why is it so amazing that while Christ was walking on the seashore, he put his eyes on two fishermen? I mean, why? Why did he see in them that was so compelling? Were they very talented? Were they very spiritual? Is it that they always went to church? Is it that they never did anything wrong? Is it that they never committed all? I mean, why did he rescue them? And the answer is no. Christ saw them and rescued them precisely because they were not good people. He rescued them because they were sinners on their way to hell. When I was in college in Pensacola, there was a specific day during the semester that the students were supposed to clean their rooms. It was called White Glove. And the idea was that someone would come to our dorm and make sure that everything was spotless, right? So in our dorm, there was four of us, four guys, and our room was filthy. I mean, it was ungodly to be there. There were all ramen cups on the floor, dirty clothes all over the place. But the worst place in the entire dorm was, for sure, our bathroom. I mean, just imagine a bathroom that, that is being used by four guys and never truly cleaned. There was trash all over the place. The sink was disgusting. It was horrible. The shower. I mean, to take a shower, you had to close your eyes. Seriously, it was awful. So it was four of us in the dorm. 
And one of the guys was gone out of the room for that particular moment. So while this roommate is out doing his business and running errands or whatever, I said to the other roommates, I said, guys, listen, we all know the room is the, the bathroom is the worst part of the room. So when Kevin comes back, that was his name, Kevin, let's have a vote to see who gets to clean the bathroom. And when I say, who votes for Kevin to clean the bathroom, then we all raise our hands, okay? Well, they were happily agreeing with me. So when Kevin came back, I said, Kevin, let's assign our church for tonight, okay? Let's do this democratically. <laughs> who votes for Kevin to clean the bathroom? And the three of us raised our hands. So he's, he's okay. He doesn't really care. So he goes on to clean the bathroom. And the three of us are now cleaning the inside part of the dorm. And that was easy. I mean, just vacuum, take the trash out, make the bed, take care of the clutter, wipe windows, wipe tables. I mean, that's not... And we're having a blast. We ordered pizza. We had music on. It was great. All while Kevin was stuck by himself cleaning that ungodly bathroom. Well, when it was close to midnight... And we had collected all the trash and put it by the door. My job was to take the trash out to the dumpster. So I didn't want to be doing all these runs back and forth. So I waited until the very last minute to take all the trash out. So here I go, close to midnight, with boxes, with trash, all sort of bags, I mean everything. I take all this trash back to the trash room, I open the lid to the trash, and we were on the fifth floor, and I threw all the trash all the way down. I heard when it hit the dumpster on the bottom floor. So when I come back, I said, guys, we're finished. That was a piece of cake. That was the easiest white glove ever. But Kevin comes out of the bathroom and he starts looking around on the floor and he looks puzzled. So we say, what's going on, Kevin? And he says, well, guys, where's our stuff? I said, what stuff? He goes, well, our, our stuff, our bathroom stuff. He says, that I, I emptied all the drawers, I emptied all the shower, I emptied everything so that I could clean. I took our shampoos and razors and hairbrush, everything. I put it, everything right here on side. I said, did you put it by the trash can? He says, yeah, that's exactly where I put it. I put everything in Walmart bags and put it by the trash can. And I'm like, are you serious, Kevin? Why would you do that? It makes no sense. And so he says, well, who took the trash out? I said, I did. So now we have no toothbrushes, no shampoo, no lotions, colognes, nothing. And my other two roommates say, well, Josue, my electrical razor is like $200. The other roommate is like, yeah, mine is like 100 Josue. And so our alliance quickly starts to disappear. <laughs> They're not as happy with me anymore. I said, guys, don't worry. I go down to the first floor and I open the dumpster and I'll find our things. No big deal. So I take the elevator, and I go to the first floor, and go to the trash room, and I open the door, turn the light on, and the dumpster is gone. And I'm thinking, oh no, the garbage truck. The garbage, already, the, the garbage truck already came. But I'm inside that trash room, and I can hear the garbage truck just outside. 
So I'm thinking it might not be too late to stop them. So I go ran outside the building. And remember, it is after midnight. And this is exactly what I see. I have a picture of that. This is exactly what I see. Literally picking up the, dumps, the, the dumpster and about to put it into the back of the truck. And I yell, no, stop. So they stopped. And they're looking at me like, you're crazy. I said, hey, I accidentally trashed some valuable things. Can I, can I please jump into the dumpster? So they lowered the dumpster for me, and I jumped into the dumpster, and the workers are making fun of me. They took their cameras out, started taking pictures and videos of me. They were like, look, a Mexican inside a dumpster. I mean, this is so embarrassing. And I'm just trying to find those Walmart bags, and it's disgusting. I mean, I smell things that I never th thought could be smelled. I felt things that were squishy and nasty and dirty, and I had, in, I had waste inside my shirt. I had trash going inside my pants, and they are dirty, and my hands are dirty. But there I was, looking inside all useless, insignificant, unwanted, undesired, disposed, rejected, abandoned, forsaken waste. I was there seeking for something that had value for me. And when I finally found the bags, I lift them up and I said, these are mine. <laughs> and to the workers and to everyone else, I was just picking up trash. But from my perspective, I found what I had come to rescue. Listen carefully. In a very similar way, that's exactly what we have in this passage. We have the Lord of Lords, Yahweh, Adonai, El Shaddai, God in the flesh, looking for people to rescue. And when he sees these two fishermen, he says, I found them. These are mine. In the words of the hymn, I once was lost, but now I am found. Not because I was seeking God, but because he was seeking me. Do you see the glorious seeking in Christ in this passage? I mean, this is fascinating. This is what we call the gospel. This is what we call Christianity. Not that he rescued you because he saw all the potential that you had, but because he saw you lost, unwanted, rejected, abandoned, disposed, and on your way to hell. Listen, the gospel is not about you receiving Christ. It is about Christ receiving you. The gospel is not for unbelievers only. The gospel is for, for us, believers as well. The gospel is about repentance of sins. But as Christians, we still fall and sin. And so we must come to the throne of God every day and confess our sins to him before the Lord. That is the gospel. And when we, feel, when we sin, we feel that we disappoint God. But just think about that for a minute. Do you really think that God saved you hoping that you would never fall again? No, friends, God, God rejoices in forgiving you. So do not wait any more than you have to to run to God every day and confess your sin every time you fall. And of course, if it is genuine repentance, there has to be changes in your life. But we must stop the idea that Christians are Christians because they do not sin. No, no, no. Christians are Christians because they confess their sin. And why would you do that? Because you should want to enjoy Christ, the glory of Christ, his beauty, his forgiveness, his friendship should be sweeter and more attractive than anything else in this world. Yeah. 
but when video games or TV shows or football or Netflix or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok is more compelling than Christ is, then you're fully engaged in idolatry. And nothing in your life should take God's place. Nothing. Why? Because we love him because he first loved us. Why is he to be my first place? Because of love, of course. Because I love the fact that he sought me and he found me. And this is exactly what happened to these fishermen, right? Look at the end of verse 16. For they were fishers. That's what the text says. That was their old profession. That was their old identity. And it was not a bad profession. It was not a bad career. It just wasn't enough. You know why? Because God didn't create eternal souls that have only earthly meaning. He created us for a higher purpose, for a higher plan, a brighter identity than just fishermen or doctors or lawyers or whatever you may do in life. Jesus was walking on the seashore and found them, and he was about to give them something that their old identity could never offer. So, we saw the glory of Christ in seeking. Let's look, number two, for a few minutes at the glory of God in calling. The glory of Christ in calling. Look at verse 17. Just the first few words, verse 17, it says, And Jesus said unto them. Now, please pay close attention to this. These five words show the outstanding power of the word of God. When we read, Jesus said, you know what you ought to think about? I really think you should think about Genesis chapter 1. Everything starts there, right? God created everything with the power of his word. And here's no different. While these guys are out fishing just a normal day, Jesus speaks. And when God speaks, the earth trembles. His word is alive because he is alive. Today, we can hear him through our Bibles. And when you ignore reading your Bible day after day, you are literally missing out on, the, on hearing the powerful, everlasting, never-changing word of God. And it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 65. You need the word of God more than you need air. So read your Bible. I beg you to read your Bibles. God has always, always chosen to act based on this communication system, his voice, his, his words is what we need most intensely. Without reading your Bible, your life will be empty. So listen to good preaching podcasts, watch edifying YouTube videos, use all the technology that we have at our disposal and, and within your reach to hear the powerful word of God. Now. What does Jesus say in this particular occasion? Let's look at verse 17. Come, this is what he said, come ye, what does it say? After me. It is not a suggestion, it is an order. Now, the, the, the order is rather simple. Following someone has the idea of following someone's steps. I mean, go where he goes and think like he thinks and walk like he walks and be like he is. Following Christ means to become a learner, a student. So watch this. There's no such a thing as a Christian who is not a follower. Because the call of Christianity is to be a follower. 
They go together. Either you are a follower of Christ or you are following someone else. Now, that doesn't mean that you're always following Christ. I just spoke to you a few minutes ago about confessing your sins because we fall often more than we want to. When something has taken the place that Christ deserves, you must confess that sin and get up and try again with the help of the Spirit. But if you have been found by God, then it should be your earnest desire to follow him and follow his example and talk as he talks and things as he thinks and be as he is. But you will be clueless about how Christ is until you see how he is. How does he look? What does he think? Why did he do the things he did? How did he teach? What did he teach? Why did he preach? Or how did he preach? I mean, you will never want to follow someone whom you know almost nothing about. There is no plausible scenario in which you will want to follow Christ when you know very little about him. This is why we created a terrible shortcut. We think it easier to be moral because knowing Christ takes too much work. So I'm just going to be moral. That's easier. And, and, and that's why we don't do drugs, or we don't smoke, or we don't say bad words, or we don't watch bad movies, or we don't have bad friends, or parties, or alcohol, or pornography. And, and the question is really, how is that working for you? I can assure you, it's not working. Because even if you are being successful on not doing some of those things, your flesh cringes for sinful acts. And I know for a fact that you have fallen or will fall in those or other sins very soon. Because when you think that Christ is about self-discipline, when you think that Christianity is about self-control only, then you have just forgotten, without me ye can do nothing. And I'm not saying that there is something bad about trying to be moral, but that's what Mormons do. That's what Muslims do. That's what Catholics do. But not us. I don't want to be moral only. I want to be holy. And to be holy, guess what you need? His word. Amen. Jesus said it like this in John 17, 17. Sanctify them. Make them holy. Through thy truth. Thy word is truth. See, Satan, wa Satan wants you to believe that you can be a Christian without his word. But Jesus said otherwise. It is through my word and only through my word that you can be sanctified or holy. So church, please, for the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ, take this seriously. The glory and the beauty of Christ is far more surpassing than anything in this universe. Admire at the word, stare at it, and be transformed from glory to glory into the image of our Lord. Grow up man up, mature up, and get up and examine yourself whether you're in the faith or not. And if you are not, if you have been deceiving yourself or if you've been saved, if you've never been saved, then today you can come into the embracing arms of a loving Lord who is relentlessly looking for you. Repent of your sins and follow Christ. That's the order for you today. And it's not optional. If you choose to disobey his calling, you're picking a fight. You cannot win. Now notice that Jesus' order comes with a spectacular promise. Verse 17 says, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. 
This is amazing. This is a promise of identity. Before, they were known for being fishermen. Now, they would be known for something else. The master is making an extraordinary promise here. But please notice something incredibly important in this verse. Generally, at least me, this verse compelled me to be something. Either become soul winner or actively engaged in evangelism or more committed to God. But watch carefully this verse. This is a promise, not a condition. In other words, Jesus is not saying, follow me if you are soul winners. Or follow me whenever you are fishers or men. He's saying, you follow me, I'll do the rest. See that? that? That's the problem with seeing Christianity as a do, 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 because Christ never said that. He says, you cannot resist temptation. You cannot resist peer pressure. So follow me. I will do the rest. I will make you to become what you will never be on your own. Wow, this, this is simply amazing. Now, this is not magic, but it does make a lot of Sense, if I commit to love my Savior, to know what He is through the Bible, of, of, through the right reading of my Bible, if I commit to know His nature, if I commit to know His personality, if I commit to read the Scripture with that in mind, then He will do in me what I can't do on my own. Then my appetite for Facebook or TV or video games will change because my appetite for Christ is overriding the appetite for my flesh. He will make you into his image. But continue trying to do things on your own. Continue trying to read your Bible so just so that you can feel good about it or abstaining from evil or fleshly desires just so that your spouse or parents leave you alone. And I can assure you that your best efforts with your best intentions will not last. But you see Christ and you follow him, and you listen to him, and you talk to him in prayer, and you observe Christ in your Bible reading, and your life will be transformed. He will make you the person he wants you to be. So don't read your Bible asking yourself, what does the Bible want me to do? What do I have to do, or what don't I have to do? Church, may I encourage you, read your Bible looking for what Christ has already done. Every verse in the Bible, one way or another, connects to Jesus and his kingdom. So ask God to help you see him and his glory. Now watch the reaction of the fisherman, verse 18. And, and straightway, they forsook their nets and followed him. Wow! What an obedience! Surely you must be like Simon and Andrew. That's, that was my take on verses like this, right? We, uh, we read our Bibles and, and we think we have to be courageous like David. Well, except don't commit adultery like him. We have to be faithful like Noah. Well, except don't get drunk or do the things that he did. We have to be a follower like Abraham. Well, except don't lie as often as he used to do. Church, watch this. There is only one hero in the Bible, and it is our Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Sure, there are traits that we can learn from the characters, but all of the individuals in the Bible point us to the need of a Redeemer, because you cannot be your own Redeemer. 
And this passage is not an exception. We, we, we read this verse, and we, if, if we're not careful, we think, wow, immediately they followed him, so we must be like them, right? Wrong. It would be like praising the light for appearing in Genesis 1 when God said, let there be light. No, this passage is not here so that you want to be like Simon and Andrew. This passage is here so that you will follow the voice that spoke to Simon and Andrew. They're not the heroes. Jesus is the hero for saving graciously these two sinners. They're not the heroes. Rather, we see that the words of Jesus, that his voice is so beautiful, so compelling, so adoring, so glorious, so radiant, so perfect, so peaceful, so rescuing, so commanding, so full of life, and so full of grace, that when these two men heard the sweetness of this voice, they followed him. I'm not minimizing the response. I'm just exalting the voice that prompted such a radical response. Who was that voice that spoke to them? What kind of words were those that they left everything behind to follow that voice? I know who he is. I know what word it is. It is our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word of life, the light of the world, Yahweh, Messiah, Christ, Redeemer, my Redeemer, my Savior, my love, my Rescuer. Do you know who He is? Church, I hope that I have shown you from Scriptures that you have someone seeking for you, that's King Jesus, and that He is giving you an order, follow me. And I hope that you see that Jesus' seeking is glorious and that his calling is glorious as well. And I hope that you see that it is impossible to follow him unless you know who he is. And it is impossible to know who he is unless you see him in scriptures. So friends, Jesus Christ is stretching his hands and saying two things. Let me rescue you for your lust and just follow me, and I will make you to become a new person in me. Uh, years ago, when we were on deputation, probably around the time that we were visiting your church about nine years ago, our daughter was three years old, four years old, and she always hated going to bed. I don't know if that happens with any other kids here in Oklahoma, but she would ask me to stay with her in her bed until she eventually falls asleep. And I always knew she was about to, get, to fall asleep because suddenly she would stretch out her hand like this and ask me to hold her hand. But one night, and I think I have a picture of her when she was about four years old, but one night after she stretched out her hand and we held hands just like this, she looked at me and said, Papi, did you know why? I hold your hand like this every night? I said, no, baby. I don't. I, I really just want you to fall asleep now. <laughs> I haven't thought about that. She said, puppy, I hold your hand like this every night so that you can't leave me. Oh, dear friends, please get this. Jesus is calling you today. And once he's got your hand, he will truly never leave you. So love him. Love him for seeking you. And enjoy his calling for the rest of your life. Because when the fullness of his kingdom arrives, in a new creation, we glorify bodies 
and eternal life, we will surely know that we are not there because of our own efforts, but because He found me and He called me.